Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything the Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started. Hello and welcome to B2B Better. My name is Jason Bradwell and on each episode I talk about how companies can use marketing to navigate big moments of change. Whether this is gearing up for a new funding round, launching a new product, pivoting in response to market trends or sitting on either side of an acquisition, I break down modern day B2B marketing strategies into actionable advice with guests who've seen it all before. Let me help you be better than boring. Let's go. Today on B2B Better, I'm very excited to be joined by Robin Bodycoat, Head of Marketing at Touchlight. How are you doing, Robin? I'm doing great, thanks. So thanks for inviting me to participate. And how are you? I'm very well, thank you. We were connected through a mutual friend of ours, Charlie Wyman, who was a previous guest on B2B Better. Um, Earlier this year, I reached out to her saying, I need to speak to a marketer who's navigated a huge moment of change in their career. Who would you suggest? And your name was the first one that that came up. So we're here today to talk about your experience through running a massive rebrand for a company called Quotient Sciences a few years ago. But before we get into that, tell me a little bit about you and what you do today. I'm the head of marketing for Touchlight, which is a biotechnology company based in London, and they're focused on the delivery of DNA services for genetic medicines and advanced therapy manufacturing. Now, I've been in B2B marketing for around 20 years and have built a bit of a reputation as an expert in life science-based marketing. I think one of the, my uh, key strengths would probably be the fact that I've worked at all levels within a marketing department over the years. But my key focus now is very much on building marketing strategy and implementing thought leadership-based marketing campaigns to help drive lead generation and um, increase brand awareness for the Touchlight business. The life sciences industry is a fascinating one to me personally in that it is so opaque. It is so far away from my personal experience. I really admire you and the great career that you've built um, in that sector, leading marketing programs um, over the last two decades. You mentioned that you are the head of marketing currently for Touchlight, a fairly recent hire, if I understand correctly, six months or so. Um, Before that, you worked for this company, Quotient Sciences. Tell me a little bit about your time working there 
and start telling us the story behind this global rebrand project. Sure. So prior to starting my role at Touchlight, which, as you said, was in September 2021, I was the marketing director at Quotient Sciences for just over six years. Now, just to give you a bit of uh, background on Quotient, they're an early stage drug development services business. And uh, during my time there, I built the marketing department from its foundations and managed the global rebrand of the business, which was a really interesting and enjoyable challenge. Now, Quotient Sciences themselves are a really interesting company. They're labeled as an innovator and an um, industry disruptor. So that means that they have an innovative way of doing things in their um, sector, which is early stage drug development. Now, when we're talking about uh, the issues that Quotient were facing, one of the most notable ones was that the brand was quite weak in the marketplace and really they seem to have an identity crisis, and that was caused by two underlying factors. The first reason was down to brand confusion. So Quotient Clinical, as the business was known back then, shared an almost identical look and feel with their sister company called Quotient Bioresearch, who they'd recently broken away from. And you can imagine the challenges of having two separate independent companies with almost identical names and logos working in the same industry. The only thing that actually separated them was the brand color. So not surprisingly, clients and prospects confused the two companies and their capabilities. So although this issue was a catalyst for the rebrand, thankfully it did go away during the early stages of the project as the sister company was acquired and then they were eventually integrated into the branding of its new parent. The second reason for the rebrand was very much based around customer perception. So Quotient Clinical was associated specifically with clinical trials and being a CRO. So for anyone outside of the industry, a CRO is a clinical research organization. The perception was due to their roots, but also because of the business name. So the word clinical acted as a silo, when in reality, the company offered a lot more than clinical trials. They offered formulation development and clinical trial manufacturing services, which were a lot earlier in the drug development pipeline than the clinical trials and the CRO capabilities that were associated with. So despite consistent growth, this brand identity seemed to be working against the business and it was weak and it was confusing. And really the only way to change this and the industry perception was to create a new, unique and really engaging brand identity. You're tasked with this monumental challenge of rebranding the business. What were the specific marketing goals that either you set yourself or the leadership team, executive team at Quotient set you in the context of this rebrand? So there was a number of goals, but I think the ones that really mattered were uh, focused firstly on changing the customer's perception of the business. So as mentioned just now, there was a real audience misconception around where Quotient was placed in the industry. So the rebrand would focus on creating more of a unique and updated identity that provided some kind of clear, consistent and differentiated marketplace messaging that really matched where the business wanted to be positioned. Other goals including, included building a unified and integrated global business and also improving the audience experience to really drive lead generation.
And did everything go smoothly when you set out on building the strategy? What kind of challenges did you face along the way? Well, overall, the project lasted approximately two years and ultimately was delivered on time to a high standard, but it didn't feel smooth along the way. There was a lot of challenges and unexpected curveballs, which made it really difficult to plan. And these challenges were predominantly created by ever-changing internal and external factors that were not part of the initial project plan. Can you elaborate on that a little bit more? Yes, I certainly can. So one main contributing factor was Quotient's acquisition strategy. So during the project, Quotient acquired four businesses over a 12-month period. And this meant that the project dramatically changed from a simple rebrand of a UK company to the rebrand of five global businesses with completely different identities and cultures. So an additional focus became about integrating them all under one new brand identity. This meant that there was now a large group of stakeholders across multiple global sites to engage with and and take along on this rebranding journey. So this impacted the plan, the timelines, the internal stakeholders involved, and of course the overall budget. So that was one challenge. And you can see that the rebrand plans because of this had to be fluid and adaptable to accommodate the changing business. So another challenge I would say was the change of business ownership during the course of the um, project as well, which meant there was an urgent need to seek buy-in from the new owners, which was a venture capitalist company. And as this was halfway through the project, it was very much focused on bringing new people along on the journey we're already halfway through. And accompanying that, changing senior management as well also caused a little bit of a headache, which meant I had to convince new key stakeholders inside the business that everything and everyone was on the right path. And this, as you can imagine, was quite exhausting. And then I would say one final challenge, which was more related to human emotions. And I think unlike the other challenges, which we've just talked about, this one will be an aspect of every rebrand. And that is when selecting a new visual identity, there is so much emotion involved. It's not an objective decision-making process and every stakeholder and decision-maker reacts differently to imagery, language and color based on their, their preferences, their background and their personal experiences. What makes it more difficult is that arguably no one is right or wrong. So they just have different beliefs, opinions, and preferences. The challenge was understanding this and these differences of opinions is very important when trying to make the right decisions for the business in order to move forwards with the rebrand. But it can be a real minefield of opinions and emotions, as you can probably imagine. It requires such a high degree of emotional intelligence, I think for marketers to navigate these kind of situations because as you've rightly alluded to marketing to a degree to a large degree is an is a subjective art right mm-hmm. as you say there is no right or wrong answer particularly when you're dealing with a rebrand i've been in the similar situations to the ones you're describing where you've got multiple owners coming into a situation where one company is acquiring another and particularly where you see 
executives or, or, or founders um, of companies that are being acquired suddenly seeing the brand that they've spent perhaps decades building and developing to get to this point dismantled to, to varying degrees. I remember sitting on a call with one CEO once of a company that we were acquiring and their main concern was that we didn't change the color of the logo. And I just, I, I laughed, not not outwardly, but I laughed internally because I just thought, what a funny, what a funny concern to have in the scope of this huge change of your business's life cycle. The, the color of the logo is something you don't want to change. And it requires such a high degree of emotional intelligence to keep everyone on board and aligned and moving in the same direction. How did you move forwards? What, what were the steps to what were the next steps you took after you identified these challenges? So, I mean, everything you've said there is spot on. I mean, there's so much emotional attachment to previous logos, previous branding, and it is really important to understand that. So in terms of moving forwards here, I think I'm going to talk more about the operational side of delivering the rebrand rather than the creative. So in doing this, I think it's really easiest to break it down into three areas. So we've got the start of the project, we've got the delivery, and then we've got the launch itself. So, so let's start by talking about the project right at the start. And one of the most important things to do before you even start is make sure that you're building the right team. So for an SME or a larger business, no one can deliver a rebrand on their own, no matter who they are. You're not Superman. It would be crazy. So it's really important to build a rebrand task force responsible for steering the project, reviewing creative and messaging and making the key decisions along the way. And the team must also really be a broad representation of different departments. So the whole business is involved. And in doing that also, it takes pressure off you as the, uh, the project leader and a key decision maker. But the first challenge is really making sure that you've got that right team. The second one is making sure that you select the right creative agency. I mean, this seems obvious, but I spent six months reviewing brand agencies before making a, a decision on who the right partner would be. So you can't rush this. You've got to review portfolios of client work, and get the agency to really give you feedback and opinions on your project brief. So really you can start to understand the relationship that you're able to build between the two of you. So you need to build a strong relationship with this agency based on trust, honesty, and respect. Because believe me, there's gonna be a lot of blood, sweat, and tears along the way. So it's got to be a strong relationship. Next up, I would say, let's talk a little bit about the project delivery. Starting with managing the process, because strong project management is critical. You really must pay as much attention to the process and the operational delivery of the, as you must the brand visuals that you're creating. So managing time, resources, stakeholders, and budget is key here. And it's really easy to lose control if you're not careful. When people think of a rebrand project, they think about all the exciting things like um, the new logo, the new visuals, the new messaging. But this operational side, this project management is so important to success. And it's very easy to, to put it to the back of your mind. And also 
getting buy-in from internal stakeholders is huge. So the complexity of rebranding four different lo uh, global locations for quotient, these were locations that I'd never actually had an opportunity to visit, meant it was really important as well to identify representatives at each of these locations who could act as global ambassadors, providing on the ground local support, both in terms of voice and action. So these are some of the internal stakeholders that we really needed to work with. These guys were important for both delivery and um, encouraging post-launch adoption as well. And then in terms of decision-making, all key decisions were made by consensus within the rebrand task force. So within this group, one person's view was not deemed more important than anyone else's, no matter who they were within the organization and how senior they were. I think there was six or seven people within the rebrand task force, which seemed to be a good balance. And each person brought something different into the team. And when it came to selecting the direction for the creative, specifically the logo, the visual identity and key messaging, everyone was able to express honest opinion. And only when there was a strong consensus within the task force did the project move forwards. Now, once the brand identity was approved, the agency was able to then go about developing brand collateral for both the internal and external purposes. And this obviously included building signage as well. And the result was a complete ground up new brand identity that felt as innovative as the business and really helped Quotient stand out and thrive in the marketplace. So getting sign off within the task force for the new brand identity was a key step, but the actual delivery, the rollout was just as critical. So you can't deliver a successful rebrand until, as I've said, you gain real buy-in across the business, top down and bottom up. It's important to make everyone really feel like they're involved. And to achieve this, just below the rebrand task force, there was a operational support team. And this was a team of staff from across the key departments, including IT, HR, customer services, even regulatory, who would all be impacted directly by change. So I made sure that we set up regular weekly team meetings with them, helping to identify areas of need. This also provided a platform for them to really raise concerns and ensure that the timing of the rollout was synchronized across all of these different departments and also all of the different locations as well. So keeping these guys informed was essential as it really helped to avoid any unexpected roadblocks along the way. And to ensure buy-in and build interest and excitement across the business prior to launch, I steadily uh, drip-fed information and content via channels like monthly online presentations and internal social platforms to the entire organization to build that level of excitement. So what I included here was reasons for change when it was happening and little teasers in terms of what it would look like as well. And by doing this, it got staff really excited well in advance about the new look and the new feel of the business. And I'd say it created what we'd call a, we're all in this together approach. And this included not just the original quotient clinical business, but all the new acquisition sites as well. Everyone got the same communication. Everyone was changing together. So it was a unified excitement for change.
that operational level is so important. And I think that I think a, f- a marketer approaching a global rebrand for the first time, leading a global rebrand for the first time would be forgiven to for, for admitting, right? Because you think global rebrand, that is something that is owned by marketing with exposure, with, with leadership. And that's mm. probably the extent of it. But I've definitely been in a situation where I forgot to involve a function like IT in a global rebrand project or a relaunch of a website project. And then you get 75% down the road. And then suddenly they're asking questions around, well, how do we know these are secure platforms that we're we're launching or that product getting in touch saying, well, now the product looks completely different branding wise to how we're marketing ourselves externally, keeping people informed without sacrificing your control of the project is such an important thing to achieve. I have found in situations, if you involve too many people, it's that classic problem with marketing. We've already talked about it. It's a subjective art. Everyone feels entitled to an opinion. And the more people you involve in the conversation, the more opportunities there are there are for things to get derailed or move in a different direction. And again, Absolutely. it goes back to what we've already discussed. It requires that super high degree of emotional intelligence. You, you have a duty to keep these people informed and get them excited, like you've said but you've got to keep a control on that situation and you've got to make sure it's the vision that you and your, the powers that be have agreed is, is being seen through. We've talked a lot about what happened before the launch. Tell me what happened when you hit the big green button and everything went live. <laughs> so launch was a big deal, of course. And there's two elements to this. There's the internal launch and the external launch. Let's first talk internally about what we did. So internally, there was a a brand launch presentation followed by a mini party at every site, all coordinated to happen at the same time. Business was generous with free gifts for all staff and the party also included pizza and cake and lots of prizes to be won. So this made it feel like a celebration and everybody felt part of it and importantly, everybody got something out of it. The rebrand wasn't just a a so what exercise for most of the staff, it was real and it was an exciting event. And it's really important to make sure that everyone feels involved and engaged. And that was the purpose of the party and the gifts as much as anything. So it also served as a catalyst for brand integration and alignment because you have to remember up until that point, the business had been operating as operating, sorry, as five different sites, five different cultures, five different businesses. So it was all it was as much about cultural integration for the different business sites as it was a rebrand. So there was a lot to celebrate and um, get excited about there because suddenly it wasn't five separate businesses doing their own thing in their own way. Everyone was one big family. Now, externally. The major conference of the year, which took place in San Diego, which was nice, obviously, became the focal point for the big launch. So clients, the media, and even competitors would be there. It was one of the biggest conferences of that year. So it was the perfect place for a grand unveiling, followed by on booth champagne and tapas. So this really got clients and prospects excited and really ensured some fantastic media coverage right at the start of the the conference itself. All had gone well, despite all these challenges laid down, but we've talked about launch, but the next thing I want to touch upon is 
ongoing conformity because it's very easy to think, right, we've launched, that's it. The rebrand is done. Everyone's happy. But let's not forget, it doesn't end there because there is, there is also a need to ensure ongoing conformity to the new brand identity within the business, within the large business as it is now. Launching a new brand is only one part of this project. Equally vital is making sure that the continued internal transition takes place at every site and in every department post-launch. So a fresh and consistent look and feel must be maintained. And here's where your internal brand police become important. Reporting back on any site of any old logo or collateral. So we literally had people going around with clipboards, taking notes and taking photos on their phones of anything they saw which represented the old business. It was quite funny and it certainly made people feel important when they were part of that internal brand police team. And, and it is, it's important to understand that not all change can happen from day one, of course. Not all change can happen from launch. Only customer-facing collateral was essential to change for day one. So those departments were given deadlines to transition over internal documents and paperwork in the months that followed the, uh, the rebrand launch. And we could be talking hundreds and hundreds of internal documents, PowerPoint templates. There was so much more than I actually expected. So to help achieve this, support guidelines and materials were introduced to help communicate the new brand. So I even created FAQs to explain how to change everything ranging from LinkedIn profiles and LinkedIn banner backgrounds to email signatures to PowerPoint presentations as well. As you can imagine, there was plenty of grumbling, but it all got done in due course. And we gave them, I think, a deadline of four months after the initial external launch to make sure that everything that was considered legacy business was removed. It's a, re it's a really interesting exercise. And you touched on something there that I think is so important, which is that kind of internal culture and consistency beyond launch. I have been on the other side of an acquisition. A company I've worked for has been acquired by a bigger company. And one memory that's kind of seared in my mind is this new company's IT director coming to my desk and kind of ripping the sticker of the old brand logo off my laptop and slapping on the new one. And it's a small little thing, but, you know, for an employee that has an affinity with the old brand, it's got to be dealt with so delicately because it's it's a scary thing to go through an acquisition. Like, is my job going to be safe? Am I going to be working with the same people? Am I going to be working on the same projects? And just a small little act of removing the coffee mugs from the cupboard that's got the old logo needs yeah. to be communicated in a really delicate and personal way. And it sounds like that was a big consideration of yours and the wider teams during this process, that it wasn't just the rug was being pulled out from everyone's legs and you just have to kind of catch up. You made an event of it. You, as you said, everyone got something out of it. And then there was a lot of follow-up and communication as to what this all meant internally that supported the external message as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so you can't just take things away from people like pens, folders, you've got to replace it. So that just makes it a little bit easier because uh, you're supporting them and um, helping them move forwards with the rebrand. Exactly. So two years, this process took a lot of stress, a lot of heart heartache, a lot of sleepless nights by the sounds of things. 
Absolutely. What, one would question, why would anyone do this? What are the real benefits of going through the pain? Of so I think apart from a shiny new logo, for Quotient as a business, I think the main goal achieved was changing the marketplace perception of the business. So it was no longer labeled as a clinical organization after the rebrand. And that had a really positive impact on sales outreach and lead generation. And change also created the excitement of something new, both internally and externally. And this and the excitement of a rebrand actually became contagious and carried over into all sorts of other new projects over the course of the following years. And it strengthened the team as well and improved pride amongst staff. And finally, I, th I think the new brand as well, it's improved overall performance, it improved perceived quality, and um, it improved associated value for the organization as well. So there was lots of unanticipated benefits, and, but I think that main one was the excitement and energy that it delivered into the organization. You've already shared so much advice on how to successfully roll out a rebrand with so many challenges along the way, but what would be your number one tip for someone listening to this episode to take away who may be embarking on their own rebranding project? What, what would be the one tip you'd give them for delivering a successful rebranding project? I'd say it's, it's difficult to give one tip, but I would say over-communicate. You need to make key st stakeholders feel like they have been part of the key decisions. And if you have extra difficult internal stakeholders who may create roadblocks along the way, then give them special individual treatment with one-to-one -one meetings, explaining everything, making sure they feel they're involved. For a successful rebrand, I would say communication is everything. You're obviously a few years out from this project and we were talking a little bit before we started recording that for you it was one of the, the kind of highlights of your career despite mm. all the the hard work and the stress now that you've got i've got a, a bit of distance between the project and, and today looking back is there anything that you would have done differently do you think so i think maybe two things can be mentioned here firstly i think on a couple of occasions as a business, we nearly went down the wrong path in terms of the name and the brand architecture. And I think I could have and probably should have spoken out a lot sooner if I wasn't comfortable with the direction we were taking. But at the time, I was a little bit less senior and less experienced. But now I would certainly speak out if I didn't feel entirely comfortable with the direction we were potentially taking. And then secondly, in reality, it was really easy to misjudge how monumentous the task was, particularly rebranding a business that's in flux, as Quotient was at the time. Because as mentioned, the size of the rebrand project grew exponentially and was made all the more complex by the changing business model and the acquisitions. So although it was difficult to predict some of the change, with hindsight, I think I could have spent more time contingency planning and ensured the budget was flexible from day one uh, to support this evolving project. And that would have meant I didn't have to keep going back to the financial director for more money, which unfortunately did happen on a couple of occasions. 
I feel like despite everyone's best intentions at the beginning of a project, these kind of things always have a way of exceeding your expectations in terms of how much energy and money they're going to cost to actually see through. So I wouldn't beat yourself up too much about that one. <laughs> I've definitely been in the same boat before as well. Finish us off, Robin. What will be the biggest change in how companies uh, in your sector market themselves over the next five years, do you think? I think one of the biggest changes, if not the biggest change, will be a greater shift towards personalized marketing. This doesn't mean sending an email that says, hi, first name. It's about personalization to forge a real connection between a company and the target audience. So it's about really tapping into the pain points of an individual and offering a proper custom solution and personalized experience across every touch point. Now, I think with improvements in AI technology, along with better data collection and also more insights from areas like social media, it's very easy to personalize everything from content uh, to design to product recommendations and everything in between. So to me, I think particularly within my industry, this is the way that marketing is evolving. Robin, this has been a masterclass on how to run a successful rebranding project in an incredibly difficult and fluid environment. I thank you very much for coming on to the podcast today. For anyone who wants to learn more about you and your work or maybe connect with you online, where can they find you? Best place to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn. Um, always happy to connect with people. I also have my own LinkedIn Life Sciences Marketing Group as well, which if you do want to join, then again, just reach out to me, message me, and I will happily connect you with the group. And I'm also on Twitter. So any of those uh, platforms are fantastic. It would be great if anyone listening to this wanted to reach out and discuss my experiences in more detail, more than happy to help. I will drop the link to both your LinkedIn and your Twitter in the description of this episode. But otherwise, Robin, thank you very much for coming on to B2B Better today. Fantastic. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Do you employ or pay workers in other countries? Even if you don't yet, you may have to soon. Now that remote work is the norm, employees have more freedom than ever to move around. And if you want to keep your best people, you have to stay flexible. That's why remote makes it easy for companies of all sizes to employ global teams. They take care of international payroll, benefits, taxes, and local compliance, so you can focus less on paperwork and more on growing your business. Remote helps you onboard full-time employees or contractors in countries all over the world in minutes on its simple, easy-to-use platform. Even better, Remote lets you rest easy by providing the most comprehensive intellectual property protections and data security in the industry. They own full local legal entities in all their covered countries, guaranteeing that you never have to deal with a third party ever. To save you money, Remote never charges any fees or salary percentages. You get access to everything that Remote offers, from payroll to compliance to benefits management, for one low flat rate. No hidden fees, no surprises, ever. Just the best global employment solution in the business. Best of all, podcast listeners get an even bigger discount. Get your first employee free for 12 months and two months free for any additional employee onboarded during their first year. Just visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better. See why global companies like GitLab trust Remote to manage and pay their international teams. Whether you want to hire one person or 100, Remote makes it easy. Visit remote.com forward slash B2B better and use the promo code better to get started and that's it for this episode of b2b better if you enjoyed the interview go ahead and subscribe to my podcast leave a rating a comment a review or just share it on social media it'll really make my day 
Every Monday morning, I send out a newsletter to B2B marketers all around the world on how to do better B2B marketing. You can sign up to that via the link that I'm going to leave in the description of this episode. Or if you need a fix of B2B marketing content goodness right now, you can head over to my website at www.jasonrbradwell.com. See you next week. This episode was sponsored by Remote.